0: Hey, all you Rad Dads out there.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Rad Dad Brett here with another episode of the Rad Dads Show. Today, we're talking to one of the most prolific creators of kids' music ever. Chris Ballou has released 18 albums of kids' music in just over 10 years under the name Casper Baby Pants. In fact, he just released his latest album, Happy Heart, three days before this interview, and got a Grammy nomination for his last album. The guy's a machine, cranking out hits like My Flea Has Dogs, Butterfly Driving a Truck, Stompy the Bear, and My Lullaby Got Too Loud. But if you're not familiar with Casper Baby Pants, you will definitely know Chris as the lead singer of the unforgettable Presidents of the United States of America. I know for me their first album was a huge part of my musical journey, so it's neat that now he's a part of my kids' musical journey as well. Chris joined us from his home studio and shared with us how having a child was the catalyst for a major career move for him. We talked about how kids need to experience empathy from their parents. And Chris also talked about successful co-parenting through a divorce. Of course, we also chatted about the future of Casper baby pants and Chris's many other projects. And honestly, Chris offered so much great advice and perspective for parents in this interview. It's not one you're going to want to miss. And finally, This one's extra special for me because my daughter was able to join us to kick off the interview. And then a few of her pals who are also big fans sent in some questions as well. So all around, this was just a really fun, feel good chat. So without further delay, here's Chris Ballou, aka Casper Baby Pants, on the Rad Dad Show. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Rad Dad Show. So excited to have you here. Yeah, I appreciate it. I like, it's uh, a compliment to be considered a rad dad. <laughs> well, we're gonna do something, I think a little bit uh, different here today from what we, we typically do. We've got some some rad kids who are gonna ask you some questions. So um, yeah, it'll be kind of interesting. And we're gonna start with, um, with my rad kid. What's your name? Elise. Ah, Elise. Elise, and how old ah, are you? Four. Four. And what's your favorite Casper Baby Pants song?
0: Noodles and Butter.
1: Noodles Aww. and Butter. I love
0: I had Noodles and Butter last night for dinner.
1: We had Noodles for lunch, didn't we? But not Butter with sauce, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and Cheese. And Cheese, that's mm-hmm. right. Good so, stuff. Elise has a question for you. What is it, Elise?
0: Who are you? Who am I? Yeah, who are that, you? I, It's a very short question, but it's a very big question. That's an amazing question. (laughs) Who am I? Well, my name in, in regular life is Chris Ballou and I make music and I make art and I grew up in Seattle. And then one day I decided to be a guy named Casper baby pants and make music for little kids and grownups. And, uh, so I did that. And, um, I think, you know, that's basically who I am without getting into, you know, the Earth was originally a ball of molten lava. Then it cooled, and life formed. And I, I could get pretty detailed. About <laughs> that. Don't
1: we don't need to go way back, hey. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, I'm Chris Malou, and I'm Casper Baby Pants. Is this is the quickest answer?
1: Well, we are so excited to be talking to you today because Casper Baby Pants is one of our favorite favorite artists. Right. Um, we love listening to Casper Baby Pants. I think that's that. You know, I, <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, I guess at the idea of you coming on the show, and then when you said yes, I was just like, "Oh, this is amazing!" Because um, you you give <laughs> you give a gift to to kids in the music that you make, um, but you also give a gift to parents in making music that is tolerable for parents and and is is so fun to listen to. I'm sure you've heard that lots before. Well, I
0: have, and that is a very intentional thing. I absolutely want to make music that makes the parents and the kids. Live in the same space, you know. Be in the same room, uh, smile at the same things, enjoy the same songs. Uh, I feel like music that drives the kids and the parents to different parts of the house should be outlawed.
1: <laughs> yes. No, maybe not
0: outlawed, but it's not my goal. I I want people to come together. Uh, and and you know enjoy the same music i actually really i have the parents in mind a lot more than the kids when i make this music i think i think i'm thinking about the parents about 85% of the time and the kids about 15% of the time
1: that, that maybe a little more maybe 70 30 let's try yeah. something and it comes through in your music right like uh, there's certain music and, and i'm sure you like i even think about we so we have a lot of like um, punk rock and metal kind of guys that come on this show and things like that. And I, you know, I, I really like punk rock music and, and there's like a, a bit of like an ethos or a feeling that sort of comes through in some music, um, that you just pick up on. And sometimes you can't kind of, um, put your finger on it. And I, I feel that a little bit with your music, like there's, there's that edge and, and, um, I, I think that's what's really appealing to parents is, you know, you can kind of feel that, um, like, yeah, you know, yeah. for example, you did that Nirvana cover and, yeah, uh, um, you know, th- those are really cool things. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, really what
0: I'm just trying to do is make good songs that yeah. humans can like, no matter what their age is and kind of, you know, make critical, make creative choices that um, don't uh, exclude anybody, you know, like I don't put a bunch of distorted fuzzy guitar on because yeah. that would include, so I try to make this like inclusive sound all the way from the song writing to the recording and mixing and everything try to be like let's let everybody in
1: yeah yeah and i have lots of favorite colors okay well elise you know what elise is going to take off right away but she wants to share her favorite color with you
0: colors
1: colors okay what are your favorite colors one
0: blue
1: blue got it number two three i mean two (laughs) what comes pink
0: oh pink. pink a pink too i guess Okay, blue, pink, number three. Mm, green. Green. Okay, and what is there? One more. Uh, two more. Okay, <laughs> so we got blue. We got pink. We got green. Number four. Um. Yellow. That's my favorite. So you got blue, green. No, blue, pink, green, yellow, five. Uh, orange. Okay. Orange, okay, blue, pink, green, yellow, orange. Look at that. I remember them all. Awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you hear what Casper Baby Pants' favorite color is?
0: Uh
1: yellow. Correct. Yellow. Yeah, you got it. He's always wearing a yellow shirt.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't have one on today, but I have like 50 of them in my um <laughs> closet.
1: Well, thank you so much, Elise. So um we will Yay. talk to you again soon. Thanks, honey. Bye.
0: Bye. bye bye elise see you later it's nice to talk to a little kid i haven't talked to a little kid in uh, quite a while because have a good party.
1: day and i'm having a special treat
0: okay, <laughs> little punky. don't have a special treat
1: <laughs> thanks elise that was fun and uh we actually have uh so we've got some videos uh, from some other kids when i um mentioned to some of our our listeners some of my friends um that we were doing this interview with you, they were so excited, right? For the same reasons that, that we talked about. And, and so I thought, Oh, it'd be really cool if they could get their kids to ask some of the questions. So we recorded yeah. some questions. So we'll, we'll get to those in a little bit. Okay. So, yeah. So you talked about, um, who you are and kind of your transition, um, from, you know, presidents of the United States of America, rock and roll, Rock star to to Casper Baby pants, so maybe quickly before we kind of move on, can can you elaborate a little bit on that? like where does Casper Baby pants come from? I feel like in doing a little bit of research, I noticed you using that name Casper kind of way back when yeah so where does that come from? Well, uh musically, it comes from a long
0: lifelong journey to figure out really who I am and to make music that transparently represents my real, honest self. I don't know why that became a, um, you know, like, well, I think I do know why, actually. I I think getting signed to a major label when my rock band got signed in the 90s, it led me to kind of realize that um, there was a piece missing, that, that it was great and the band was fantastic, but it wasn't exactly me. It had an edge to it that I just don't have. I had, For a little while, an edge because I had kind of a rocky ride there in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, But it wasn't a place where I could inhabit for a career, you know. And I got this message from somewhere saying, like, you know, you got to keep digging and find out who you really are and what that sounds like. And so that's what I did. And it took another 15 years, but I finally figured out it's music for children and parents, and it's pure innocence and being childlike and being silly um, yep. is really me. So um, that sort of led me to the Casper Baby. It's really like, it found me as much as I found it. It was, it was, it was me being patient and experimental and waiting for the chemistry to hit, you know? And my wife, Kate, uh, her artwork really accelerated the process. I looked at her art and just went, wow, I wanna make music that comes from that planet. And yep. when I did, it became obvious that it was kids' music. So, yeah, it, it was a big relief. It was like, okay, I wasn't crazy, you know. I wasn't uh, breaking up the band twice yep. for no good reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't, you know, just being self-indulgent. I actually figured it out, and it and it actually turned out to be good for people. So, so
1: was it kind of like? A- like kind of like an imposter syndrome kind of thing. Like you kind of just felt like this world I'm in, it's just not, something's not right.
0: Yeah. I mean, most of it was right. It wasn't like I was playing music that was completely not my style. It's just that the innocent, the innocent thing was there in the presidents, but it also had innuendo on top, like adult themes and stuff. And that friction made the band work. It's like, look at these, you know, childish dorks playing these, silly rock and roll songs all that 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 innocence versus innuendo friction made it go it's just that that wasn't really sustainable for me like I had a period where that was an interesting mix but then you know I couldn't repeat it I couldn't uh I couldn't make that chemistry happen again it was just wasn't in my tool belt
1: so well, clearly you've got that kind of that chemistry now and you know with your own project I know it's very much kind of like a You know, for lack of a better term, like kind of a one-man show. But clearly, the the passion is there, right? Because uh, from what I could see, it looked like first Casper Baby Pants album was about two thousand nine. Is that right?
0: Yeah, February of two thousand nine. And
1: we're on number eighteen. Is that right? Uh, Number eighteen just came out on Friday the thirteenth. Right. Right. So, which congratulations? And yeah, and we have been listening to it around the house. It's great. You know, we love it. So uh, it's called Happy Heart. Yep, yeah, And you mentioned your wife, so she has done um, artwork for many of the, the releases. Is that right? All of them, yeah, all, all of, of them. them. And we do books together where she does all the illustrations. We
0: write the story together and then I turn the story into a song. So we uh, we mesh our talents together a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I couldn't make a record without her doing the cover. I mean, there's no way.
1: It's just the way it is,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think I have, that's album 18 and then I have album 19 done. and ready Really? To go. Oh, yeah. When the pandemic hit, I had albums 17, 18, and 19 just about finished. And so yeah. I finished them, and I've been sitting on them. And so I released Bug Out and Happy Heart during the pandemic. Yeah. And Easy Breezy is the 19th and possibly last Casper album. Oh, that's interesting i I don't think I can figure out any more ways to sing about food and bugs and nature and you know <laughs> animals i i don't I think I've exhausted the uh, the wells dry I mean nineteen albums huh yeah. you know, one of the reasons i made i wanted to make so many is that people don't uh burn out like they right. can just keep on cycling you know anyway I think number nineteen might be although I do have a I'll do number 19 and then I do have a four song cover EP that um, I don't know exactly when I'll release, but I think I'm gonna hold on to 19 until after the pandemic and I can do shows again, and that'll be a celebration of that. Um, right. to some sort of normalcy. Yeah. But if the pandemic goes on and on and on, I'll release Easy Breezy sooner than <laughs> that. So I don't, I just don't know.
1: Well, it's neat to see that, because obviously we talked to lots of musicians and and everybody kind of in the same boat here of what do I do with my yeah. my creative um, side here you know people aren't touring right now and so are seeing people putting out albums and, and trying to figure out how do I kind of make this work while yeah. you know the the bread and butter of our industry is not really here now which is kind of the live the live album thing so yeah what what's that experience been like for you obviously you've been creative you've been working
0: Well, yeah, I worked for the first part of the pandemic for a couple months and then the albums were done. So I actually dismantled my studio, I kind of needed a break. Anyway, I was kind of inside myself. I was like, okay, I've got to ramp up after the holidays and do shows and um, I kind of need a break. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll Take advantage of this by yep. giving myself some space. So I didn't actually record or write a song at all for seven months. I just gave myself a huge break, and I did visual art during that time. So I do okay. these, these black and white kind of goofy graphic drawings there at chrisbaloo.org. dot org, and uh, I sell the prints and I donate the sales, uh, the profits from sales of the prints to three nonprofits that deal with um, families in crisis and homelessness and parent education in Seattle.
1: Very cool. So,
0: um, anyway, I just poured everything into the, uh, into being a visual artist, which I went to school for, so it's not like not authorized. (laughs) (laughs) I have a bachelor of fine arts. So, okay, Okay. I finally figured out something to say, so I've, I've been doing that. And, um, yeah, so live shows mostly for me, it's okay. I can pause that and take a break. Um, I, I have income coming in from just you know, selling the albums uh, online and stuff like that to keep the lights on. And, um, but I do miss it. I miss like your daughter being there just a minute ago, man makes me s- just miss the interaction with those little yeah. freaky brains, you know, they're just so hilarious. They're so endearing and dear and awkward and silly. <laughs> and yeah. I love, I miss the, that, I miss like connecting on that level with little humans Uh, yeah i i mean
1: i've watched we, we have watched together some of your your live performances we've never gotten to see you live but um we've watched some of them online and it's it's it is really cool and you can see how much you enjoy that um kind of connecting with the kids and and they just latch onto the songs like you have that way of writing songs that we've talked about this already but you know, they're good songs. They're, they're great songs, you know, from a songwriting standpoint, but they don't go over kids' heads. And no, no. That's, that's a real amazing thing, right? Because writing music that kids identify with, that's, that it can't be easy. I mean, clearly you've got a knack for it, 18, 19, 20 <laughs> albums in, but um, yeah, it is neat to see.
0: It's hard, you know, like uh, some people have come up to me and said like, oh, it must be great making music for kids. You can just say anything over and over and they'll love it. I'm like absolutely not it's way easier to do that for drunk adults uh (laughs) if if you yell into a distorted microphone in front of a rock band and you could be reading the dictionary yeah you have the right look and style and command of the situation uh but with kids my vocals are laid bare they have to tell a story or paint a picture or engage or hook or something they have to do something um so it's it's very forensic like uh, ly- you know I get into forensic lyric rewrites and stuff I kind sure. I kind of got inspired by Weird Al he's a very forensic uh, and he writes way too many lyrics for the songs which I think is a great idea so I would write like you know way more than I needed and then find the parts that really Oh liked. that's cool. Yeah.
1: So so yeah so we we've, we've talked about um, I guess you know, your history a little bit, President of the United States uh, of America, and be kind of uh, that metamorphosis into Casper baby pants. Um, so in addition to that, you're also a dad. Absolutely. I have a 20, how old is he now?
0: 23? He's a 23-year-old. Oh my gosh, I'm getting to the point where I can't quickly remember <laughs> my kids' ages, uh, which mostly means they're getting older. Uh, right. 20 and
1: 23. 20 and 23. So boys, girls. Oh, a 20-year-old girl, 23-year-old boy. Okay. Or man. <laughs> so so take me back where where were you sort of in your c- career, I guess, when when you had kids. Like when that all began. Uh, well,
0: it was 97, so I was kind of on the back side of the president's first four-year term. We did a four year term, five year breakup, 13 year term. Ah, oh. So yeah, I was on the backside of our first four year term. I was unsatisfied. I was burned out. I knew I wanted to do something else. I couldn't tell what it was. Um, and so when my son came along, I knew I wanted to be present for that experience. So that led to breaking up the band and doing our last show in January of 1998. So it was, it was, Augie's birth was kind of a, a catalyst yeah. for acting on a sensation I was already having, which was like, I need to start heading for the exit so I can figure out the next thing.
1: Well, this is kind of a, a common thing when kids come around. There's a kind of a left turn that happens in your life. You may be able to continue on with certain things, but but certainly, you know, it, it is like a forced Reevaluation of where things are at right you kind of have to yeah
0: i mean hopefully, hopefully it is unless you know you're a certain kind of person who just keeps on having five martinis every night and <laughs> you know ignores the children which they did in the right and <laughs> so right you, i don't mean everybody but you know it's like an archetype that's sort of like you know uh, checked out parent with a picture yeah. of martinis
1: <laughs> well yeah we we've talked about that with a few guests on the show like kind of um, that comparison between kind of that traditional parental role and sort of you know what that looked like versus the modern I guess the modern dad in our case right and yeah I mean obviously everybody approaches it differently but there's certainly some common themes um, you know in terms of the way that's changed you know paying attention to your kids and being involved with your kids and um, you know d- approaches to discipline and those kinds of things right so I think I, yeah, I
0: for me the big revelation the big word the word of the day and a word that Michelle Obama used in her Democratic National Convention speech that made me cry was is empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, just just making sure a child knows that they were heard and empathized with. That doesn't mean the answer has to be yes. It can be no, it can be a hard answer but knowing that their, um, opinion was heard is huge. I mean, it's, you know, I guess there's a certain generation of parent that would look at how we're parenting now and be like, you know, kids should be seen, not heard and all that kind of nonsense. Um, it created a generation of injured people who had a hard time growing up and being productive, happy adults, because, there's an injury that happens when you're not empathized with when you're very tiny that you don't lose, you know, you just, it morphs into something else, some other kind of behavior or inability to form lasting commitments or relationships, or it may be subtle, it may be giant. Um, but there it is. So empathy is a huge, huge, um, watch for parents, you know,
1: Yeah. You know, obviously there's kind of that fine line you have to walk, right? And that's the, the tough thing about being a parent is, is having to figure out, you know, when's the time to comfort and when's the time to discipline and all those kinds of things. But I think, you know, that, that's a, as I listen to your music, a very common theme, that empathy and, and I think even your ability to put yourself in the child's shoes, like you're not kind of right. A lot of your songs about, um, you know, um, le- like learning to walk and those kinds of things. First you got to crawl, uh, like yeah. you kind of almost put yourself in their shoes and, and that's what's so fun about it. Right. Yeah, I do. But I, I, um,
0: I don't, I hesitate to get into this cause it's a, it's a slippery slope, but there's one rule I have. I will never sing a song about being a kid using the first person. Uh, it's always about you and what you're yep. doing. Yeah. I think, it's, I think it's kind of twisted and weird to hear a grown man singing <laughs> I just poop my pants or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's true, that's true. Well, I don't do that at all, but but I do, yeah, I do talk about the kids' issues sometimes, you know. Yeah. there's story songs, there's just pure rhyming, like call and response nonsense. There's a, one thing I liked about doing Casper Baby Pants is there's just this rainbow of possibilities musically. I can use every sound in my toolkit, Mm -hmm. you know, sonic sounds, bluegrass, rock and roll, uh, you know, dance party, wah-wah, funky. It can go all over the place. And thematically it can go all over the place. It can be like the legend of a tugboat or, you know, just some abstract poem about frogs jumping around or, you know, stories and abstractions and the whole gambit. So I love that about it, and I want to make sure I, you understand that when I say be empathetic, it doesn't necessarily mean just uh, cuddle or or um, you know um, uh, uh, comfort. It also means you can deliver bad news empathetically. For so you, sure, you can hear yeah, you can hear a kid say they want something that is not practical, and you can answer them uh, without saying no in an empathetic way. You can say, you know, wouldn't that be great if we could you know, eat candy bars for dinner every single night.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, I'm, gonna get a, I'm gonna get a US Army helicopter to drop candy bars on the house and it's gonna crush the roof and crush the floor and we're gonna go in the basement and eat candy bars until we vomit. And the kids get like this glassy-eyed look, they're like, they're, they know you heard them, but you never said no. And right. Then they, they just magically walk away.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, that's such a hilarious uh, example. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. And I, I knew what you were saying, you know, not to, to, you know, we use the word cuddle, but coddle, like not to coddle your kids. Right. It's about kind of being realistic, but, but making them understand that you, you you heard them, you, you feel what they're feeling. You,
0: yeah, you get it. There's a really great way to do that like and this works with all ages and even with grown up people who are in relationships that are they're messing around with uh, having, you know, having a hard time with you can you have an issue you sit down and Each person says their dream scenario like I never want to make my bed again. Okay, we'll put that on the list. And then you're next and you say I want you to make your bed every day. All right, put that on the list. And then somebody else says, I want you to make your bed every other day. Okay, I'll put that on the list. And then you can kind of, and then you look at the list and you go with each thing, all right. Well, never making your bed is not gonna work for me because we walk by your room every day and it's uh we like to keep a tidy house, you know, whatever it is.
1: Yeah. And there again,
0: the kid's idea, even though it's not practical, is on the list. Yeah. So it is reviewed as a possible action item and along with everything else. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really it's a great way to make them feel like you heard them because you do spend time on their idea, no matter how impractical.
1: Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great advice. You know, it seems like, um, and I don't know, is this sort of through the process of Casper baby pants, you've really put a lot of um, sort of obvious thought into some of these things, or is it, you know, where, where does that come from for you? Well, I read a book called how to talk. So your kids
0: will listen and listen. So Mm -mm. your kids will talk by Elaine Faber and uh, Adele Maslisch, or Adele Faber and Elaine Maslisch, that's it. Okay. Um, and I saw uh, Elaine Maslisch speak, uh, do a, a talk and that's, she gave out for free that night, the um, the Grant and Fantasy thing, the, the helicopter with the chocolate bars idea. Okay. I actually went home that night and used it on the kids and it worked. <laughs> I was just like,
1: oh, that's okay, great.
0: I'm buying this book. So yeah, I, I bought that book and uh, my first wife and I, the mother of my children, and I really um, paid attention to that idea. In fact, we kept the book by the phone. And when we get in a situation where the kids, were like, uh, hold on, and we'd run and look at the book, like, what do we do, what do we do? So, um, you know, I, my line is like, people used to, uh, people always say like, babies don't come with uh, an instruction manual, but yeah. they kind of do, and it's that book. That was your instruction <laughs> manual. Yeah, yeah. So that, and that just hit me to the whole power of empathy. You know, to be empathetic, you have to have a, you have to have abstraction. You have to be able to hold somebody else's reality and your reality at the same time. You know, you have to have like um, abstract imagination and you need, you need to feel safe and well-educated to have that. I think a lot of people, not to get political too much right now, but I think a lot of people who follow, uh, you know, who maybe don't have the ability to hold two realities at the same time. They really can only hold their own, you know, their own. Right. So that when I think about those people, I think empathetically about them too. I think empathetically about Trump.
1: Yeah. I think
0: I feel like I feel bad for him. I feel like he's a lost human and no. um he needs help.
1: Lost well, so. still- this seems to like, you know, I've heard it said before that we're, you know, we're in this obvious, obviously this global pandemic, but we're also in sort of this pandemic of misinformation and, and, and maybe it's, you know, a, a pandemic of like lack of empathy. Maybe that's yeah. part of it too, right? That seems everything's so polarized right now. And just nobody wants to hear what the other person has to say. And, you know, it just feels like banging your head against the wall some days, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, because I think people come together, uh, at least the clashes between the two sides that we see on the news and stuff, they are angry, they're really angry, and you don't learn when you're angry, you know, you don't, you're not right. open to anything, it's just a big brick wall of of uh, resistance, so, and I don't know, man, I mean, again, Michelle Obama's speech, man, she, she said, empathy is the key, and I just, I lost it. I cried like a six-month-old child. <laughs>
1: well, it's, it, it is funny. Um, like getting through to a child, we know, I like, I certainly had those um, moments with my children where you get angry and you really don't get anywhere. And really, this should teach us something from a very young age. that <laughs> anger is not a real helpful tool um, when you're trying to change somebody's mind possibly, or maybe engage in in a discussion. Anger is not a great way to come into it. Right.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky though. I mean, I feel like when I learned to be empathetic from that book and from, you know, using techniques in that book, um, I felt like I was speaking somebody else's script, you know, it didn't feel natural, but eventually it did feel natural, but then that made me think like, why doesn't that feel natural? Why, why is that a new skill? You know, but it is. It's a, it's part of us evolving as a, an organism, a
1: human yeah. organism. Yeah, not not but, everything is natural. Yeah, like some of these things, you actually have to practice, right? You actually have right. to be mindful of and practice. Yeah, and we just haven't
0: addressed it culturally yet. You know, yeah. like it's it's the next step. So it's not the previous generations' fault or anything. They're doing the best they could. They were busy. You know being the greatest generation or whatever, <laughs> but um, which I take exception to, you know, I think we're getting better and better and better. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just another step uh, and it's ongoing, you know, it's like not, uh, but it's, it's a thing like there's, I mean, I, I also feel like the darkness that is being broadcast by the people in charge creates a vacuum into which lightness comes and conversations about race and, um, you know, politics and uh, sexual, you know, any um, uh, uh, equality of the sexes. Yep. What am I forgetting the term for that?
1: Gender equality.
0: Gender equality, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All of these conversations are happening, Me Too and all that. Yep. They're happening because of darkness. Yep. And so, you know, uh, there's a theory, I, I fool around with a theory in my mind that the the hippies wouldn't have happened without Hitler. <laughs>
1: Right. That there's maybe like a a counterbalance that just, yeah. People do talk about it sort of a pendulum swinging. And I think, you know, you kind of get so far to one side and it only has one way to go. Like, you know, so, so maybe, maybe that's kind of part of that same theory. Yeah.
0: Eventually, hopefully it'd be great if the pendulum stopped swinging and we were all still pendulum.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, So, okay. So I'm going to move on to a question from one of our, our guests. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we need to the kids out of the conversation here. <laughs>
1: so, so here we go. Lily's got a question for you. So, I'm just gonna make sure. Um, we've never done this before, so I hope this works. Uh, here we go. Can you see Lily? I can. I hope oh, I can hear her. Awesome. I think I think you will be able to. Let's see. Okay. Here we go. I'm Lily.
0: I'm four years old. Um, I like stomping the Bear. How is being a dad? How is being a dad?
1: changed you how it's being a dad changed you that's a good deep question from Lily
0: yeah well you know we touched on it a little bit Lily it's made me feel way more uh, empathetic it's made me feel way more loving toward all people Um, it's made me feel more emotional one of the first things that happens when you become a dad or a parent is that you cry at commercials <laughs> it's true it's true you cry at commercials because all of a sudden you feel ha- what it's like to make another person and you feel that incredible love that just radiating love and uh so you, you can watch a commercial and uh something slightly sad happens in it and you just start crying so i didn't do that before i was a dad so that that's how being a dad has changed me
1: <laughs> yeah so there's this like connection with with an emotional side that maybe you didn't know was there or it kind of unlocked it or vulnerability.
0: You become vulnerable.
1: Yeah, for sure. I would agree with that. Um yeah, it's funny you mentioned crying at commercials. I mean yeah, you see a story. I I find with me, it's like a story on the news or something about a child, somebody's sick or something like that. Oh my God. Like you just you can't you kind of try you know, you can't help but put yourself in in that family shoes and and just can't imagine what they're, they're going through, right? And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're totally right on that one. Um, so for you, what, what are the most reward, rewarding aspects of being a dad?
0: Well, you know, actually, it's funny. During the pandemic, I'm more of a dad now than I was for a little while there because my kids were kind of off doing their own thing. But now we have a weekly phone call, a Zoom call with my son, and my daughter chimes in from time to time. And I feel more connected to my son than I have for quite a while. And my first wife and I, we talk to him and we're helping him kind of, you know, navigate his twenties and stuff. And we feel like we're engaged parents again. We feel like we're parenting, you know, and, uh, and luck, fortunately she and I just get along really, really well when it comes to being parents. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's. It's kind of an ongoing experience that that really uh, is evolving as my kids get older. Um,
1: I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) The question was, um, what are the most rewarding aspects of being a dad? So, yeah, you're talking about sort of...
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's one of the rewarding parts is just being, at this point with my kids, since they're older, is uh, being a resource for them like having gone through all the slogging through my twenties and my growing up and fig and putting all this energy and effort into figuring out the chemistry behind some of my imbalances and things that I need to get in balance uh, with my attitude and how I live and how I eat and how I sleep and exercise and all that stuff, self-awareness, Uh, I'm like a resource now for them on that score and they've taken, they've taken uh, advantage of it and that's very rewarding. So.
1: Well, that, that's a cool thing, right? Um, (laughs) It's always so hard. I think back to, so I've got young kids, Uh, Elise, who you met is, is four. She's about to turn five. Then I've got a two year old daughter as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot about what it's going to be like as they get older and they're going to need advice. And I kind of think back to when I was, you know, younger and you kind of like, ah, oh, my, what do my parents know? Right. And. Well, yeah, there's that. I mean, the one of the ways you can work around that is just say to them, like, I'm here.
0: You can choose me or not choose me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, I mean, I, I think as a parent, I'm kind of like, you know, putting myself in your shoes, looking forward a little bit. That must feel really cool to have your parent or your children kind of, want that information from you and value that information from you
0: yeah they do but at the same time they don't want it you know they don't really (laughs) want it (laughs) so it's you know i try to be casual about it um it's hard for me and i you know i'm talking about big ideas like big awareness you know i used to watch the movie the matrix with my kids yeah talk to them about perception and how the matrix is an analogy for perception and how there really is something behind, like there really is a limitation to what we see and what's really yep. happening in the in a quantum physics world. And they were just like saucer-eyed, but they loved it. <laughs> they <laughs> they wanted to watch the matrix with me all the time. So anyway, I've, it's big stuff too. Like, yep. but I got at them, you know what I did is I, I got at them with this kind of stuff when they were too little to get it and just sort of laid it out, you know? not that i showed them the matrix i mean it's kind of a violent movie but i i wasn't hesitant to like maybe go over their heads a little bit with ideas so that they could grow into them so that helps because then then when the conversation happens later they're like they kind of feel like they know what i'm talking about intuitively or maybe or something
1: yeah sometimes it feels unnatural doesn't it to try and like dumb things bad term but dumb things down for your kids right like trying to oversimplify things sometimes it you want to kind of even though it's over their head like kind of yeah.
0: you can just say in a nice voice you know like yeah, yeah and uh our our uh, perceptions can only perceive a certain uh band of light and that there's this whole other spectrum and there's all this stuff happening that we can't see you know but bees can see it and uh some birds can see it and uh you know <laughs> you just kind of lay it down like casually by the way <laughs> yeah by the
1: way the matrix is real so you know <laughs> <laughs> they're just like uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> whatever dad <laughs> um yeah no that that's really cool i really like that Let, I, i'm gonna take us to another question from from a, a young listener named ira so just one second here
0: i'm gonna open my door and get a little fresh air in here
1: yep sure raining
0: outside so i want to get a little rainy air
1: that's on open. Ah uh, that's nice. Uh, nice. Alright, there we go. Are we ready? Yes. Okay, so here's Do you see Ira there? I do. Alright, here he comes. My name is Ira. I'm five years old. My favorite song is Pussycat Pussycat. Do you could say yourself Well Dad? Oh, you consider
0: (laughs) yourself a rad dad. I got it. I I was my my uh my Lisp skills are rusty from not doing shows, but I got that one. Yeah. Um. First of all, Pussycat, Pussycat, I love that song too. And in fact, that song took a couple of rewrites to get right. I didn't like the first version. It was going to be on Here I Am, the very first album. But it ended up sitting around for a few albums, getting redone and reworked, and and uh, so I'm, it's nice to hear that somebody likes it because I worked really hard on it.
1: <laughs> well, and I know Ira's got a cat he really loves at home named Reese. So there you go. Yeah, so that's probably that's probably a big part of it. But it is it's a great song. I like that song too. It's an old nursery rhyme. Yeah. Well, okay. and yeah, and so. That's funny cuz that that's something you employ in some of your songs, right? It's kind of taking some of these nursery rhymes yeah. and kind of flipping them on their head, adding new lyrics, yeah. kind of taking it in a different direction, yeah. which is which is very cool, right? Because immediately you yes. you know the song already, you can kind of focus on the words.
0: Yeah. I kind of like to mess with uh, that that sensation of uh the comfort of knowing where uh it's headed on some level, yeah. but, man, I like to update them, but I don't like to update them too much. Like I'm not going to do a reggae version of Pussy <laughs> Pussy. You
1: know,
0: give it. I like to keep the integrity intact and then yeah. just kind of maybe just twist it a little bit, you know, not not mess it up too much. And do I consider myself a rad dad? I guess if you take rad and stretch it out, it's radical. And if you take dad and stretch it out, it's dadical. So um, <laughs> I'm a radical. Do I consider myself a radical dadical? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. I guess in the sense of rad, like, yeah, that's rad. That's cool. But radical, I guess I kind of consider myself a radical dad, but I'd love to not be a radical dad. I'd love it if all dads were present and empathetic and, uh, made sacrifices to be present for their children. So, um, you know, there's two meanings to rad. So,
1: yeah, I I think so. So that I'm glad you said that. Like, I think, um, I think part of the reason we, we stuck with rad dads is well, it rhymes. It sounds really cool. And when, and when we think about, uh, what does rad mean? I think you're right. It it means different things to different people. Um, yeah. there's kind of a literal meaning there's a colloquial meaning, um, you know, and, and so everybody's understanding, I guess, or, or how they internalize, am I a rad dad? That's going to be a different answer. Um, you know,
0: oh, yeah, I think you're using it like rad, meaning awesome. Like yeah, cool. Positive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Radical Dad podcast. So you know that that flows too.
1: Yeah, and and we didn't really talk too much about this. I had sent it to you in our in an email uh, at one point about like what Rad Dads is. But really, we're you know, we have the podcast, but we're also a community organization as well that helps to kind of promote positive parenting and get kids and families. Uh, out and involved with the community we raise some money uh, for local charities Um, we try and uh, support dads we have some different events and things that we do um, hangouts for dads some just for dads some with dads and kids and so it's really about um making being a dad cool again um or maybe it was never cool i don't know but make it cool and, and making people feel proud to be a dad and and embrace it and um share that experience with others so um yeah, that, that meaning of rad, I think for us is very much like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah. Um, and
0: well, there is, there's is kind of a culture around dads that, that, that maybe emphasizes that thing I talked about before the like checked out, you know, mm-hmm. comes home, pours a scotch, goes into his den and you don't see him again until dinner. And then he disappears after dinner. You know, that kind of like, yeah. Um, I left it all at the office. kind thing. Of. <laughs> yeah go so, get my newspaper son yeah yeah it is culturally a thing that needs attention and so that's
1: great that you're doing that yeah i think that's where it comes from right i you know so i was not involved with the founding of rad dads kind of came on at a later time but definitely i identified with it because um yeah you know there, i've said this before and i don't mean it in any negative way there's lots there's there's more resources out there for moms um because i think um, you know, the the mother is sort of the traditional sort of uh, parent, um, um, especially when, when the child is, is newly born, right? And so there's kind of mummies groups and things like that. Um, I spent a couple months home with my second daughter um, after she was born, um, taking parental leave. And that was one thing I realized, you know, I'd go to the, the library to go to classes uh, where we sing songs, read books. And more often than not, I'm kind of the only male there it was all the moms and you know so there there is this sort of cultural um societal thing that kind of says that role is is for moms and so I think it can be hard for dads to talk about um what their role is and kind of um feel comfortable in that that role um so and it looks so different for so many dads these days so that's part of kind of why we do what we do is just to let's just talk about being a dad and the things that we face and the things that we're going through and um, yeah. And feel proud of it. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So it's an amazing achievement. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I showed up to be a dad and uh, all that attention and presence has paid off. And I feel like i made, I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, early when we were going to have children, I was like, why am I going to have children? You know, what's, what am I trying to achieve here? What am I doing? And I thought, you know what? I think I've done a lot of hard work on myself, and I could make a couple of good humans to leave behind. Which is, you know, I want to put I want to put good humans in the side of the scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> tilt the tilt the teeter totter toward the good human side. Right. So um, yeah, I so to do that, I had to be present. Otherwise, I would have made, you know, bad humans. <laughs> I don't know. So so if I were
1: less than perfect, less than great. <laughs> Yeah, and and if I were to ask you, like what, what characteristics, what, what are s characteristics of a rad dad from your perspective? I think we've kind of touched on it already, but. I mean like, yeah, presence, like
0: um, empathy, uh, you know, hearing, paying attention, um, getting down on the floor with your kids, get down on their level, you know, get dirty with them uh, you know, get muddy, um, experience the world the way they're seeing it, because it's a real cool perspective. I mean, it's one of the reasons I chose the age range of zero to six for making music is because those, like, especially the zeros, one, two, three, even, they are like the most enlightened human beings on the planet. I mean, they don't even know that there's a boundary to their body, you know, (laughs) they're like, here they are participating, but they're just like these, like, Absolute enlightenment machines, so getting down on their level and being really present is a real gift, um, so I think being a red dad means uh, absorbing the white hot heat of enlightenment that's flying off of a baby
1: yeah the the, the presence and and that is a topic that comes up quite a bit um, in our discussions with other dads, um, especially now, and i you know i 'm sure you you can appreciate that it's kind of becoming a, an issue, you wouldn't have maybe had to uh, deal with it yourself um, quite as much. But is um, dad struggling with it being present because of their cell phones and because of the world we live in now with, you know, social media and all the notifications all the time. So um, that, yeah, that's a challenge being present these days. Yeah, it is.
0: Although on the other hand, all that social media means more connections too, which is amazing. And it makes... Yeah.
1: Kind of, Make kind of like way. a power you have to harness for good. It could be used for evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has been. I mean,
0: yeah. wow. I mean, that's how Trump got elected. Yeah. I don't want to. Sorry, kids. No well, politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and I, I mean, yeah, you're totally right. It's, it's, it's something that is part. It's a fabric of our society right now. I think there's no getting away from it. And there's, there's good and there's bad. So we, I think we're starting to realize. Yeah. Um, that some of those, those bad aspects we need to kind of get, get control of. Yeah. Like time management. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: the aspect to showing up as a dad is putting down your device.
1: Yeah. Sure. It's tough. Honestly, I like, um, I spent time talking with other dads about it myself and I, I actually have to, we talked about practicing some of these skills. That's one thing I find I have to actually practice is mm-hmm. okay. You know, right now i'm going to put the phone down in the other room and just be here with my kids because as soon as that you know it beeps or w- whatever you feel like you have to deal with it right then and that's really not what's what's important so
0: No, luckily i don't have that feeling i don't i look at it like 3 times a day maybe just sort of you know pull it out and go what time is it oh it's 2:16 thank yeah. you phone <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a you know becoming a, a huge kind of cultural thing. I think so. I'm I'm going to go to um. It's not our last question, but it's our last guest question, and this one's from Ben, um, and actually Ben and and his sister Harper. So uh, one second here.
0: Whoa, those are rad kids. Holy moly! Look yeah,
1: at Yeah they they got uh, they got gussied up
0: for this. They look like they're somewhere snowy. Oh, that's because it's Canada. Yeah, Yeah. so this is
1: Edmonton. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, here we go. What is your name? Ben. Harper. What's
0: your favorite Casper Baby Pants song? Sugar Ant. Sugar Ant. Nice.
1: We're scared to become a dad. Wait, I missed the question. What was the question? So Ben asked, were, were you scared to become a dad? So uh, do you have any fears about becoming a dad?
0: Yeah, I was scared because it, uh, you know, my son was created while the presidents were still, uh, you know, touring all over. In fact, he was created in Australia. So, um, uh, he was created, uh, down on the Southern hemisphere <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Yeah, I think I wasn't, I don't know if I would use scared. Um, I could tell that things had to change. I just didn't know how they were going to change. So I guess I was a little nervous about, you know, how I was going to have to change my life. I knew I'd have to be less, less selfish. And being in a rock band that's touring all over the world and getting interviewed and, you know, being on MTV and, meeting fans it's all about you it's all about well you it's all about me it's all about Mm -hmm. i'm the guy with the bald guy from the rock band and everybody wants to be and so i was very much in this like i'm a big deal kind of headspace and i had to become a much smaller deal (laughs) i knew i had to i wanted to anyway but i knew that having a child would but i didn't know exactly how to navigate that and i didn't do a 100 percent great job with it um So yeah, I was nervous about becoming a small deal so that I could be present for my kids and how that would impact. You know, it took me a long time after the first uh, uh, sort of term of four years of the presidents to just be present, to be settled, to not be, and especially playing music, to just be able to play music without thinking, is this a hit? Am Am I missing it? Is there something I should be working on here? Um, just to, it took like five years for me to actually settle down enough to just be Chris Ballou, the guy again yeah it was interesting it was so part of that was being Chris Ballou, the, the dad so I was nervous about that
1: well i and I can imagine you know in addition to that and sort of like on a i guess bigger picture trying to realize like I need to put some emphasis on this other human now not just myself which has been the focus for so long but you also had a career that very much depended on um, like touring and being away from home and you know being in a studio for however long and those kinds of things so was was that kind of part of it as well like how am I gonna do this was that was that ever a thought yeah it was a thought and the next thought was I don't want to so (laughs) which is why he was born
0: in April of 97, and by January of 98, I was, we had, I had, he was born in April of 97, and by July, like, July of 97, I had sat the band down and said, I'm out. And we then planned a big, you know, farewell gig for the very beginning of 98. So I did, I acted on it immediately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so v- very much was, you talked about the catalyst, and very much was the catalyst for, yeah. Yeah we moving it was on
0: catalyst for a change that definitely I wanted to happen anyway, but it, uh, it was, a, it was fortuitous timing to have it happen. Right. When Augie entered the scene.
1: Right. Right. Um, so how about your relationship with your dad? Can, can you talk about that at all and how that, you know, affects your approach to parenting or yeah. your
0: experience? With the dad? I am the age now 55 that my child mind thought my dad was my whole childhood i was always like dads are 55 dads are 55 mm-hmm. i don't know why maybe i became first aware of his age when i was you know when he was 55 and i think you know he's passed away my both my parents have passed away um but as i grow into their age i understand more and more about why they behave the way they did and you know they were of a different generation they were a little more of these kids are seen not heard but not you know we were my brother and I Tim were a second set they had a set in their 20s my parents were in their 20s when they had their first set of two kids and then they were in their 40s okay. when they had the second set so this which is a miracle I don't know I, I remember being my dad's age when I was born 44 and thinking there's no way I'm having more kids right now um, so I really shouldn't be here because I don't know where they mustered the strength to have two more children. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my relationship with my dad evolved for sure. It was a, it was pretty great when I was a little kid. He was very supportive. Um, we drifted apart when I went into my 20s, drifted back together in my 30s. Then I got divorced, which he did not like at all. And that kind of created it. There were a couple rifts with my life decisions, which one of which was very big, not the divorce one, but another one. And then, so in the end though, we kind of sat together and, and described our differences, described this kind of like valley between us and then decided to build a love bridge and just let the differences you know, go away or, or be unspoken or whatever. And then, toward his the very end of his life, we got really close, um, and he uh, he was just he's just my hero. The way he managed his exit was very heroic and um, uh, true to his word, and and honorable and beautiful. So, um, and he wrote a book. He wrote this incredible two hundred and forty two page book of just like a Block um, memories of growing up. On a a series of sharecropping farms in Missouri in the 20s and 30s, and I'm reading that book now. I I read some of it back when he wrote it, but I'm really reading it now, and it's like he's sitting next to me again. So it's pretty great. I'm thinking I might want to write a book. If this is not like a narrative arc with characters or anything, it's just a series of anecdotes. Yeah. Of which he has a billion because when you grow up on a sharecropping farm in Missouri, there's nothing to do and nothing happens. So if anything happens, you remember it apparently. Yeah. He remembers details that I just can't imagine m- remembering for myself when I was a kid. So uh, anyway, he's kind of alive for me right now because I'm reading
1: his book. Oh, that's very cool. So yeah. is, is his book, um, is it like a, a published book? Is it a no. book that was, it was kind of of family for family, for... He was
0: curious he was curious about publishing it, and i, I kind of helped him with that in the late nineties uh read it read some of it for him, and he's kind of coming to me to see if I could help with the publishing but it just didn't it wasn't uh a book in a traditional sense like again it was just like a series of little bits um, so nowadays though I could see you get you know sam uh, what's his name from the big Lebowski, the guy with the oh, big yeah. mustache uh, <laughs> Uh, get get some you know country uh narrator to narrate it and animate it and it would be a hit weird hit cartoon show i bet (laughs) yeah Uh, and it's the other thing that's amazing about the book is i can't believe how many times he almost died i mean you know like if you scraped yourself with a rusty nail back in 1924 you could easily exit this world (laughs) so anyway
1: um uh, what a a kind of gift for you to have right for following his his passing he's no longer with you to share those stories in person but yeah that was his
0: idea he was telling the same stories over and over again to everybody and he's like okay i'm just gonna sit down and write them all down and then i'll never tell them again and if you want to hear them, you can read the book (laughs) because we were always like dad stop you've told that one 900 times (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So as you, like, as you sort of entered the, um, and yeah, and I, thanks for sharing um, that kind of experience with your, your relationship with your dad. I I think not a totally uncommon experience that people, you know, kind of relationships are tough, right. And, and uh, it's tough with family and yeah. And so, so thanks for sharing that. I, I wonder as you became a dad, did you ever sort of consciously or or maybe in retrospect subconsciously think about the way your dad parented and you know in the way you approached your kids
0: um yeah not not super specifically actually um i think i created a myth about my dad that he was sort of checked out when i was a kid i don't think he was as checked out as i thought he was um that i i kind of made this narrative up in my 20s i think and uh so maybe I maybe I was holding on to that idea a little bit when Augie was born, and more decided to kind of create a new model for being a dad than the model I was shown. But again, I think I wrote I rewrote history uh, somehow not accurately because now that I get to be his age and I get to really kind of go back on those memories, I'm like, no, nah, he was he was he was pretty present. He was pretty, especially toward the end of his life, he got more and more present, more and more evolved. Um, and, uh, I appreciated that, but yeah, I, I think I was kind of forging my own path maybe at the time.
1: Yes, Interesting. Yeah. And sometimes we, we kind of, we do, I guess, I don't know if it's rewriting that narrative or if it's just, we don't have the perspective to understand. Um,
0: yeah. And I think toward, Toward the end goal of humanity becoming enlightened, you got to move the ball every yep. generation. You got to push it a little further toward uh, empathetic awareness of, like I say before, the human organism. There's this: we are one thing, and we're just like scattered on this spaceship that's flying through space. Yep. So we have to kind of figure out how to promote that concept that we're all one big life blob. We just we're not separate. We're I'm really into Ram Dass right now, and he talks about you know the fact that when we're born we're given the spacesuit, and the, it's a very nice spacesuit, and you get to live in the spacesuit, and everybody tells you how nice your spacesuit is and how well it how good it looks on you and everything, but it's not you. It's your spacesuit, your body. Yeah. Uh, so I love love that idea because. Now when I'm doing stuff like I do breathing exercises in the morning and stretching and qigong, I'm just like I'm maintaining my spacesuit. It's not, it's not me. It's my suit, so I can be on this spaceship. You know, there's a way of looking at things that's like true, but very radically different from our egocentric me channel. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I think yeah, connection is definitely. Um, you kind of talked about that, what kind of being one. Like I think that that's something that's. <laughs> being challenged a lot right now in our world, right? Certainly in yeah
0: but that's a that's a reason that's a reason I guess I was saying it like that's a reason to move the ball. Yeah. Moving the ball every generation hopefully toward that idea that I just talked about being like, yeah, taught in school, of course. Or you know, like from an early age, given the information that you know, your perception of the world and how it relates to you is just very tiny compared to how you connect to this bigger narrative.
1: Yeah. And even within kind of your, your lifetime and your existence, you evolve as well. You talked about your relationship with your dad changing. I mean, part of that might be your, your perception changing. Um, Part of that might be him growing too, right? Like we all kind of grow throughout our, our lives. And like, I would certainly say like, you know, when my kids were born, I wasn't, I I didn't know anything about becoming a dad. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, things are gonna be rocky along the way sometimes. And you you kind of just, the key for me at least is like trying to be insightful about that and reflective and figure out like, okay, what do I need to change here?
0: Yeah. And forgiving, you gotta forgive yourself and yeah. move on and yeah, totally. You can lose your temper, but you know, um, it, yeah, you have to kind of, sh- well, also you can, you're showing, how you parent is you showing your kids how to live, you know? Um, you, you show a lot more than you tell, like telling someone to do something, uh, isn't nearly as effective as being the person you hope they can, you know, being the best self you can be as an example to them that they see every day. You know, you're parenting, even when you're just doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I agree. And I, I, I think that's sometimes why for, for me, like those times when I, you know, do something, I'm, I'm not, proud of or act a certain way to my kids or maybe i'm not present i'm looking at my phone and they're saying dad come play with me or or maybe i you know fly off the handle about something wow why'd you do that or you know when i reflect on those things afterwards the reason i feel so bad is because i i know like i'm modeling something for them oh yeah it's not just what i said it's they're they're seeing that and they're feeling that right so yeah
0: yeah i'm gonna close my door because sure
1: yeah go ahead Hold on. Oh, that's better. Get back to the, back to the cozy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's kind of uh, let's kind of bring it back. So, um, when you became a dad, presidents was kind of winding down. Presidents did wind down. Um, so, when your kids were around. You know, we talked to lots of musician dads, and and you know, a common thread is kind of trying to manage being on tour and doing the musician thing or artist thing. Um, you know, while your kids are at home, you have to be away. Is that something you kind of ha- had to deal with, or how how did you kind of manage those responsibilities as an artist, as a musician? Um, and- uh, I
0: didn't manage them that well. You know, like the presidents got back together in two thousand three early 2003 late 2002 and my daughter had been born by that time my son was uh, five six years old my daughter was two or three and we got back on the road Um, and I we did a lot of weekend trips we didn't do weeks and weeks out but you know when I would come home I, I still had a hard time even when we got back together like like turning off the rock star guy thing, the story of being a rock star and just mm-hmm. being the guy doing the dishes and being present for my kids. And so I didn't do a great job with it really. I think I was a little still struggling with being checked out and not being the exact dad I wanted to be. And I think some of that is why my first marriage didn't really work out. Uh, Cause I was, I was trying to figure out so much stuff inside me that I was having trouble like being present. So that was kind of tough.
1: Yeah, it's 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 hard to, yeah, I, I find that connection we talk about, like that's hard to do when you, you don't feel comfortable in yourself. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, with a, a lot of dads, that's a, a common thread that we sort of touch on uh, lots of times is because you kind of don't feel like you can, every, and everybody's situation's different, but because you kind of can't, um, I guess, uh, share that information you might might not feel there's support out there you you, yeah, don't, you, feel kind don't, of you don't feel comfortable saying to your your friend or your, you know your buddy hey I'm having a hard time you know th- there's a lot of societal um, factors there right and and so because of that it's hard to to connect sometimes yeah right and so when yeah it's 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 definitely a challenge and, and it makes it hard with with kids around um, to know sort of what what the right thing to do is so yeah. so for you uh, like obviously you kind of became aware of, of that. And, you know, that kind of came to a head. And so how, how did, how did you move past that? Like, how did. Oh, well, getting
0: getting divorced uh, was a great opportunity for me to just completely unplug all the circuitry of my personality, all the like agreements that I made about who I am and uh, what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of. I went to lots of therapy. I just like completely, Blanked my script, you know, and became nothing, and then started writing a new story and building it up again. And it took a long time and it was very painful. And it, I got great uh, therapeutic help to do it, but it was a big opportunity to kind of like re script my life. And uh, so, yeah, so it was just like getting in the trenches and deconstructing myself and reconstructing myself. And, and so that, that was an opportunity as I saw it. And, and it worked because. By the time i met my second wife kate i was like whole enough again that i could actually appre- recognize the fact that she was my soul mate you know and we uh we've been together for whoa well, whoa well, well, a long 13 years i think now something
1: like that congratulations
0: thank you yeah yeah
1: that's exciting and, and very neat that you guys i mean obviously, you know, partners in your relationship, but also, you know, in the the work that you do and the things that you create. So that's really, yeah. really unique and special. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's an amazing relationship. I mean, I, sometimes I just look at her face and everything funny she's ever said or done is right there on her face. And I just laugh for like 20 minutes and she just stares at me. And that makes me laugh even more. We are so Charlie Brown and Lucy. It's incredible. She's an absolute Lucy and I'm a total Charlie Brown. <laughs> so those are, those are our spirit animals. That's hilarious.
1: Well, it's funny. And, and, and I checked out her website, actually, um, as I was looking at, you know, the new album coming out, there's, there's art you can um, uh, purchase that, that she's made. Yeah. She's a collage artist. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously what you guys create, you, you can kind of feel the joy coming out of that right it's
0: <laughs> yeah fantastic yeah. yeah it's amazing i mean i don't know i i wouldn't have found my true voice without her she's integral she's a she's we're like one thing it's kind of great and you know she's she's not a mom to my kids we made it very clear early on that she's not even a stepmom. we used to call her the step bear I don't know, it just was a silly thing to say that was like acknowledged that she was a step something, but we didn't want to say mom. We we were really clear early on like Mary Lynn, my children's mother and I are the parents. Like we are the policy makers, we're the parents, we're the yep. guiders. Kate is a step bear. <laughs> so whatever that be, yep. we made it up. That's so cool. uh, she's an undefined step bear that, uh, <laughs> And it was, it was an interesting thing integrating her into the family, and uh, there was some friction there and stuff. But you know, it all got worked out, and now they, you know, everybody gets along really well. We, we, um, I'm super close to my mother outlaw, my father, my brother and sister outlaw, and their kids.
1: Yeah, we have all the outlaws. We call. them
0: awesome. I'm my mother outlaw's son outlaw. She always right. calls me
1: her son outlaw. That's hilarious. I've never heard that before. That's funny.
0: In fact, Mary Lynn and I, you know, we we coined a term for uh, being divorced, but getting along. Yeah, Devonce. So you have your fiancé yeah. and your married partner and then your devonse. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, so she's my devonse. We've made up all sorts. We got step bears, Devonce's,
1: yeah. outlaws, you know, they're all. Well, we yeah, we talked about this. Relationships are tough, right? So you kind of have to figure out a way to navigate people are complicated. Um, so I, yeah, I appreciate you sharing, um, you know, that, you know, your, your personal situation there. Um, we certainly have, you know, lots of dads listing or single dads, divorced dads, those kinds of things. it's, it's nice to hear some of those stories as well. Um, and how you navigate that because that's a challenge, right? Yeah. Basically the most important thing is just keep, keep striving for
0: the truth of the situation. I remember when Mary Lynn and I were married, we would think like, what is the truth of our situation? Are we supposed to be together or not supposed to be together? And we just had to go until the truth was there. And it wasn't clear until uh, one night it was super clear. And we just went, oh, there it is, okay. And and we were able to separate dispassionately. So we weren't frozen in an angry state. You know, right. we, we, we neutralized our emotions then split up so that we could then be parents and and be friends and uh, get along and help our kids. So it was worth the work for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure from your kid's perspective as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, So let's, let's change gears a little bit here. We have a thing that we like to do. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but it's, we call it the rad dad, bad dad feature. And basically we'll ask you to share something that comes to mind is kind of a rad dad moment, kind of a blue ribbon dad moment, whether it's, you're proud of something, something happened, a funny story. Um, And then the bad dad moment. Now I want to be clear. No, nobody's a bad dad for these things happening, but those, those moments when you kick yourself, you know, you go, Oh my God, how did I let that happen? Or why did I do that? So I don't know if either of those pop into your mind as I ask that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, let's see, a rad dad moment. You know, I I just had one. Uh, My son and I hung out on Zoom after our our conversation with his mom about what's going on with his life. And we talked about music and what we're doing with music now. Um, I'm doing this kind of radically different kind of music uh, than Casper or the presidents. And Augie is also exploring, uh, you know, different ways of making music with synthesizers and stuff. And and so we had this really like, moment where we were like colleagues more than dad and son and um you know Augie can be pretty reserved and he really like just came to life and we were just like you know talking about ideas he's recommending bands to me uh so I felt like that was a rad dad moment because I felt like I was more than his dad I was like a, a compatriot or a colleague, and that was really cool. The bad dad moment is pretty clear. It was back when I was married to my first wife, Mary Lynn, we had a fight and I kicked a hole in the wall. And oh, wow. I took it out on the wall and that, and then, I didn't fix the hole for a long time, but I put one of my kids' drawings uh, with scotch tape over the hole. <laughs> and it stayed that way i think until she sold the house and she took the drawing off and was like oh there's that hole so um yeah kicking a hole in the wall was uh my one of my low dad moments yeah and then, I, think it was, it, I, I think it was just my kids witnessing me kicking the hole yeah in the wall.
1: It, yeah and there's this physical evidence of it occurring right which is uh, yeah and i guess it's maybe symbolic that I covered it up with one of their drawings. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, is that a, a metaphor for something? I don't know. I'll let it you just start. was handy. It was just handy. And I, d- I didn't want to look at the hole cause I was embarrassed by it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't want to fix it cause I was embarrassed by it. So,
1: so, so yeah, we, your Rad Dad story. I love that. Um, of Almost kind of broaching that, that friendship territory, right. With your, your, son, yeah, like, yeah. that, you know, we're, we're just relating as person to person. Not because yeah. I'm your dad, not not any of that, just talking about something we both kind of care about. and
0: That reminds me, that's an interesting dynamic that my family has just been, I've talked to my kids about actually, which is that in my family, there was a feeling of, there's a, a bit of a, um, a pantomime going on. Like I'm the father, I'm the mother, we're the kids. And you have this sort of like, almost scripty way of relating as opposed to what are you doing what's going on with you as a person you know like, like not just my son or my daughter or whatever but what's going on with you as a person and I think that's the you get more opportunity to do that as the kids get older and I've talked to my kids about that like I don't want our family to be a pantomime of a family I want it to be for you know people relating to each other who care about each other because we're a family, but I care about <clears throat> I care about you as a person yeah. actually more than as my son so, or my daughter. That makes so that's, wonder, that's an interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah, it makes me wonder like you you, you know we create I think society likes to com- compartmentalize things, right? And create roles and definitions of how things should be and who does what and families are a lot like that, right? Like I'm the dad, I do this, I'm the mom, I do that, I'm the child, sure. I do that. And yeah, you wonder does by simple virtue of compartmentalizing it that way, it's it it makes things efficient, right? Because you kind of know what to expect. Who who does what? But does yeah. it stunt you in your your connect your ability to connect and and? Yeah,
0: totally. It it reduces you to a cliche, you know, and uh, it's not it's not good for uh, development yeah. of individuals.
1: Well, it's, it's cool to hear how that, you know, has, has worked for your family. And I love the, the story about the outlaws and, um, yeah. yeah what was it? Devon say, <laughs> yeah, Devon say, yeah. yeah,
0: that's great. I guess um, I'm, the, I'm the Devon, Devon sir. And she's the Devon say, right.
1: <laughs> so yeah, Chris, this has been really great. Um, yeah. really nice talking with you about, um, about fatherhood and kind of getting some of your insights, been really eye-opening for me and and neat to see um, how you've kind of navigated some of those struggles through um, yeah so you talked about some of the challenges uh, with your relationship with your dad you talked about some of the challenges of kind of being a rock star and how <laughs> you know how that translates to I'm a very unlikely rock star I mean look at me. oh I don't Chris I, I grew up like when Lump and I know that was all happening, that like, that was huge for me. So, you're yeah. a rock star to me. <laughs> I know, I know it's funny. I, I it's Cleveland
0: I, rocks. I, I consider it kind of a personal victory to turn, uh, you know, male pattern
1: baldness into rock star. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that yeah, it, it's awesome. So, um, yeah, thanks, thanks for your time. So, I want to give you yeah. a chance. We talked about Happy Heart just came out. What, what else is going on for Chris Ballou? You kind of just hinted at some, some new non-Casper. Yeah.
0: Making, well, I've, I've been for years. I've making music for, been making music for meditation, ambient music. And so that's at chrisballou.org. You can get my artwork. Uh, you can get ambient music. You can get a kind of music I made called Sampladelic, which is like old turntables and records and drum machines and cool. stuff all cut up and weird. And now I'm working on this new kind of stuff. I don't know what it is yet, but it's it's like heavy, fuzzy, drony. It's kind of about consciousness lyrically and about con- connection and the spaceship Earth. And it's like this cosmic, heavy, drony rock that I've actually been making my whole life uh, I have a friend Dave uh, that I grew up with and we just have been playing this like drony, heavy fuzzy rock for, for our, our whole lives literally yeah. we started the band when I was 10 and he was six wow. so um, and I've never kind of figured out how to present it uh, and now I think I know and so I'm working on this whole weird new batch of stuff that's not it's in It's intuitive and emotional. It's not like telling funny stories and being Mr. Entertainment, you know, it's kind of uh, poetic and heavy. And so who knows, but I'm doing that um, fresh ambient music and drawing. So chrisbaloo.org is where you find all my like non-Casper stuff.
1: Right. And you're on Instagram
0: yeah my instagram i love instagram it's great it's like a rolling i put up art on there all the time and music and uh funny pictures and stuff i love instagram yeah Uh, a little less i'm less pro with facebook i just don't spend that much time on there but i use it to promote stuff but right yeah
1: yeah it's kind of comes with the territory right (laughs) part of the part of the biz um so and happy heart just came out go check out happy heart for any of the casper fans we're excited to Oh, Baby Pants,
0: babypantsmusic.com. That's where you get Casper Baby Pants and Happy Heart and all that stuff.
1: Awesome. And we've got a couple more records incoming at some point. So that's exciting.
0: Album 19 and uh, EP uh, will be the 20th one. Uh, covers, cover songs.
1: Awesome. Any, any um, I know you don't want to spill the beans. Any uh, little hints at what might be on that covers?
0: Oh, it's done. It's finished. Uh, it's a Tom Petty song. Free fallen, but I wrote, rewrote it to be Free crawling. <laughs> okay. uh We Will Rock You by Queen, except it's a lullaby now. We Will Rock You. Oh,
1: brilliant. My kids love that song, by the way, so I can't wait to hear your... Take. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I Feel Love by Donna Summer, which is just an amazing song. And it's no parodies, just like a really awesome little banjo driven... Casperized. Song, Casperized. And... What's the fourth one? Wait, wait. Oh, I can't remember. I don't know. I haven't
1: I haven't looked at it for so long. I just well, you'll have to wait. It's a surprise. Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Any words of wisdom for for dads out there listening? Maybe new dads, maybe you know, um...
0: everything I already said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, you've shared lots of good advice with us. Uh, yeah, to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. be empathetic uh, for new dads listening out there. Go pick up some Casper Baby Pants records because uh, they are yeah. an essential dadding tool. They are. They're a dadding tool. Absolutely. Yep. Well, that's awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for your time today. It a really fun chat. All right. That was Chris Ballou, AKA Casper Baby Pants, on the Rad Dad Show. Thanks so much to Chris for joining us. If you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us on Apple Podcasts or on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at, at rad underscore dads underscore show and on Facebook at at rad dads show. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well, including this one. Lastly, Rad Dads started as a community organization and you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.